ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. So years ago, when I got into my first marriage, I was a ripe 22 years old. I had my tall, dark, handsome, perfect lawyer of a husband. And I just thought I was going to be happy. I had watched my parents. They had been together since they were 14. They are so happy together. They've now been married almost 53 years. Love them. My grandparents had been married 68 years. And it just looked to me like the formula for a happy life was to get married. And that's it. And then you will be happy. And it really threw me off when I did everything that I thought my parents were doing and I was really unhappy. It threw me off when I would make dinner for my husband while he was watching TV, even though we both had worked all day. And I was getting furious with him for not wanting to do his part of making dinner or his part of the chores around the house. I would get furious and have no idea. One day I was so furious with him. He was on the couch watching TV and I was just stirring the spaghetti sauce and I was eating raisins and drinking a glass of wine. It was like my way to like numb myself out. And I got so furious. I took the box of raisins over to the couch where he was and I threw my hand in it and I just threw a whole handful of raisins at him. Not really the formula for a healthy, happy relationship. Probably not a surprise that we got divorced a little bit later because I had no idea how to communicate what I needed. I actually had no idea what I needed. I had no idea who I was, what my own strengths were, and what I needed to complement that. And I really didn't know how to have a thriving relationship. And then fast forward to when I got my master's degree in positive psychology, the scientific study of happiness and human flourishing. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. I learned that there's an actual science to this. There's an actual science to having a healthy, thriving relationship. But it's only recently, like literally the last couple of months, that there's been a book out there that encapsulates all of this research for us, regular people, to learn how to apply the science of happiness to have a happy, thriving relationship. And that is why I am so, so, so over the moon thrilled to bring you our guest today. So today's episode of the Purpose Girl podcast is all about how to have a happy, thriving, beautiful relationship that nourishes you and that feeds you and nourishes and feeds the other person and that then together you are more than you are separately. So my guest today is a friend and a colleague, dear friend, Susie Pileggi-Powelski. She also has her master's degree in applied positive psychology. She's an author, a speaker, a well-being consultant specializing in the science of happiness and specifically its effects on relationships and health. She wrote a 2010 Scientific American Mind cover story, The Happy Couple, and that was the catalyst for the book, Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts. 
published by Penguin Random House. You can get it on Amazon. We're going to talk a lot about the book. We're going to talk about where you can get it. She co-wrote it with her husband, James, who was actually one of my professors at University of Pennsylvania, master's in positive psychology, applied positive psychology program, where he was the co-founder of the program. And so Susie is, you know, together, Susie and James, they give romance and research workshops around the world. I was blessed enough to be at one of their talks in Toronto. And she is just an incredibly rich, like rich, soulful, kind, brilliant woman. And she's passionate about helping individuals and couples make better food and lifestyle choices. I'm so excited that she's here. Susie, we need your help. So welcome to the Purpose Uh, Podcast. Thanks, Karen. I'm so happy to be here today. And thanks so much for your uh, kind and supportive words. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll tell you. So I was a student. I was a student at MAP when you and James, you I think been married maybe a year and you were pregnant. Yeah. And as a student, and I I did not know Josh at the time, I was a single woman, you know, I'd been divorced years and years later. And I had the privilege of witnessing your relationship. And I remember you came in one day and you were like seven months pregnant. I mean, (laughs) and it was a day we were learning about physical health, right? With Ray Fowler, may he rest in peace, amazing professor. And I got to witness, I was very new in the program, I got to witness you and James and how you connected. And here you were, two experts in the science of happiness and really role modeling for us how to connect, how to communicate, how to give each other space to grow. And immediately I thought, yeah, that's really hashtag relationship goals right there. And then I love that you guys have gone on to write this book together and make it accessible to all of us. So tell us a little bit, why did you and James decide to write this book? Sure. First of all, I'll say I never planned to write a book and definitely not one on relationships. <laughs> so what do I do? I write a relationship book with my husband. Oh. I felt like, honestly, I mean, if you asked me years ago, I think I would have, you know, wanted to write a book on health, my other passion, you know, besides relationships. But I felt, Karen, more that I had to write it than I wanted to. I know you talk about that feeling called, you know, for purpose and it gets scary sometimes because one of the reasons I didn't want to write the book is I didn't want to be, you know, putting us as a role model for healthy relationships because every relationship has its challenges. And I think anyone who tells you otherwise is not being truthful. Relationships are hard. However, what I thought was missing out there in um, relationship work and with popular culture and books that all the books out there really were focusing on problems. And I felt that um, pop culture focused on, you know, the wedding, the perfect wedding day rather than the marriage, all the effort on getting married rather than being married. So I felt like there really needed to be a book uh, focusing on, you know, the positive and focusing on um, the marriage rather than the one special day. Right. This is so true, right? We grow up with the Disney prince, princess, happily ever after. And I mean, at least from my history, it's not always like that, right? I mean, that is just not the case. And I remember when I, um, when I was in the audience and you and James were giving a talk in Toronto this, this summer, was it May? And you showed the clip from Tom Cruise, the movie, you complete me. (laughs) And we have this sense that someone else is going to complete us. Right. And it's just not like that. And so 
when we look at your particular book, what do you think makes it, you, you were describing what makes it different. Why do people need to know the positive? Why do they need to know positive psychology as it applies to relationships? Well, I think as I started to mention, um, so many books focus on what's wrong. And our book's different from the others because it focuses on what's going right in a relationship Mm. and how we can get more of that. And it's based on the science of positive psychology, which studies, you know, what helps individuals, communities thrive. So there's so many books out there, which is great on, you know, applying positive psychology to individual health, which is incredibly important, um, business and education. But our book's the first one applying it to um, romantic relationships, because at the end of the day, you know, we exist in relationship with other people and how to have a healthy romantic relationship is one of the most important things um, when it comes to well-being that, mm-hmm. you know, impacts us on a daily basis. Absolutely. I mean, we, we spend our times. I tried for a long time to just be an independent woman. And what I found, I mean, I am, but what I found is every time I felt like, all right, like I've got my stuff together, I'm an independent woman. I'm ready for a relationship. The minute I would get into a relationship, I would completely lose myself. And it was like, I had no idea how to do that. And it goes to that video, the you complete me video. So what do you see that people get wrong in relationships? Sure. I think so many people think that happily ever after just happens, like you mentioned in the movies or in the fairy tales. But we actually need to work on developing healthy habits and the skills that can make us happy together. Um, So James and I like to talk about, we use the metaphor in the book of a relationship gym. Just like none of us would expect to go to the gym one time and have a more fit, uh, stronger body, we think the same with relationships. Just because you found someone or you got married, it's not just magical. You know, the fairy comes along, throws some fairy dust, and Mm -hmm. now you have this perfect relationship. We have to work at it every day and build muscle and flexibility in our relationships like we do in our body. Mm. And it's a lifelong thing. Just like our physical bodies evolve and age and change over time, we have to switch up exercise habits at the gym. Maybe what worked one day isn't necessarily going to work the following day where we get into ruts, right? We need some novelty. We need to switch up routines so too with relationships. So what are those routines? What are those exercises? What does research say? And how can we apply it to our romantic life? So let's get into that because, you know, there is, um, I was just in a women's group yesterday. I was at an all day retreat and it was actually a feminine sensuality retreat. And we were talking about how one day, we might want to make love and we want soft and we want sweet and connected. And then the next day we might want to just get down and dirty. Right. (laughs) And it can then get confusing for our partners. Like, wait, I thought you like it soft and sweet. And it doesn't just apply to the bedroom, right? It applies to everything where we are constantly evolving and changing. And there needs to be some permission for that. And there needs to be communication. And I know I've had to really work and it's been hard to learn how to communicate what I want, whether it's in the bedroom or otherwise. And I think that this is something that I see in a lot of women. And so going to the relationship gym, I love this. So let's, let's get into a couple of, of things that like the workouts that we need to do because it does take work. And actually that's another thing I want to kind of connect on. And then we'll come back to the gym itself. Sometimes I just don't want to do the work, Susie. 
you know, like we want it to be easy. And sometimes it feels like if you have to do the work, then you question, is this really right? Now, I think that's more of where I was in my first marriage when I was really young. And now I have a much different perspective. But can you talk to us a little bit about the work? And is there another way to feel positive about it instead of feeling like, oh, it's such a chore. We've got to work at this relationship. Sure. I think if you look at it as practice, like Mm. going to the gym in the beginning, a new routine is a little challenging, right? We might want to give up, but after a while, um, it becomes enjoyable and maybe fun. And when you're not doing it, you miss it. For someone who works out uh, pretty religiously most days of the week, I look forward to it because I know it makes me feel better. It's much easier than it was 20 years ago when I started exercising. And I know the benefits that exercise has on my uh, physical health and my mental health. So, so too, when we start seeing the rewards of practicing healthy habits with our partner, we're responding differently, um, our partner's responding differently. And I think when we get the positive rewards in the, in the moments, we want to do this. We're inspired um, uh, to act this way moving forward. And it gives us pause. I know sometimes in my own relationship, instead of quickly responding, I tend to be a fast talker and a fast thinker, having that pause and going, okay, I don't want to respond different. What's a better way to respond? And then James reacts in the way that I want him to, in a positive way, instead of both of us, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, knocking heads on an issue. So again, I think if we reframe the work to practice and keep our eye on the goal, being in the moment, but focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want in our relationship, it can inspire us uh, to continue these habits. Oh my gosh. I love this. I love this because everyone talks about relationships or work, relationships or work. And like work doesn't sound fun right? But the reason we get into a relationship is for fun and pleasure. And so if we can kind of pleasurize the language, reframe it as you're saying into its practice toward the goal of of being inspired and, and having joy and having love and it being what you want, that sounds like something I could sign up for every day. So I love this. So, and then it's creating healthy habits, which sounds so much better than work. So let's talk about what we actually do in the relationship gym. One of the things you mentioned is the need for new, like to mix it up and new and novel. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what we know from the research about that? Sure. So we know novelty is really good for a relationship and it's associated with couples who are more in, sorry, in more satisfying, sustainable relationships, but it depends how we look at novelty. So we know a lot of people um, who maybe move from relationship to relationship, whether in their dating life or, you know, monogamous after monogamous relationship boredom sets in. So we're not talking about novelty and switching up a partner for a new one, because obviously that wouldn't uh, bode well for your current relationship. (laughs) Doesn't get you to the goal. It's not the goal. Exactly. (laughs) But how can you do things differently? How can you um, uh, do activities together where you're going to connect and not compete? Um, one thing we talk about, if you want to jump ahead and talk about strengths, which I'm sure your listeners probably have heard you uh, speak about many times. In positive psychology, we're lucky. We're very lucky because researchers had found 24 strengths that we all have in different uh, 
degrees. And in part, it's what helps uh, makes us different from our partner, along with, of course, our personalities, our upbringing, our experiences, and so forth. And the good news, you can find out what your strengths are by, you know, taking the free VIA survey. Um, you take about 10 minutes. Uh, we have a link to that also on our website at Build Happy Together. But once you find out your top strengths, what James and I like to do is we invite people to go on strength states. And we've done that for ourselves. Um, so instead of going on the same, you know, uh, tried and true date that, you know, one person might kind of lose interest in, um, a strength state is more intrinsically motivated because you bring what's um, intrinsically you to the table. So for us, for example, one of my top strengths is zest. You probably have guessed that. And <laughs> one of James <laughs> and James's is love of learning. So how can we use these strengths and go on a strength state? So for us, um, one thing we did, we rented segways and we toured the historical part of Philadelphia where we live. Yeah. And <laughs> at I love this. The end of the day, my sense of adventure was satisfied and uh James's love of learning, not exactly satisfied because James <laughs> really, really loves to learn. He has thousands of books. Which, listen, as, as a student, is, yeah, and since I was one of his students, it's a gift, you know, to, for me. But yeah, he is, he is, a, he is a book, book mani- maniac, whatever the word is. I have talked about strengths before, and in the show notes uh, are the we'll post the link to take the VIA survey. And like you said, Susie, you have them in the book. And you have a link on your website, Builds Happy Together. I love that. We have buildhappytogether.com. We put build in because love's an action verb and not just that action, Karen. <laughs> it takes, well, you know, I like love to talk does about, take practice. It does. I'll tell you, you know, I like to talk about strengths on the Purpose Girl podcast. I also do like to talk about sex on the Purpose Girl podcast. So I'm glad that you clarified <laughs> that, but it's, I love this. So, so you can... Discover your strengths. I have talked about that here and how, and we'll have the link in uh, to it in the show notes and, of course, Susie's link. And then I love this strength state. So you and your partner, or you could do it with your best friend, or you could do it with one of your kids. There's a values in action survey for kids. You can take it and then go on a date where you take one of the top strengths from each of you and put them together. And it's a way to really know each other as well as to experience what the other person experiences and then to feel satisfied because you're right. Like if, if you are constantly doing what the other person wants, and I have a client who said, I'm just, we're just always doing what the, what he wants. We're always visiting his family. We're always going to, and they get with sports or whatever, monster trucks, whatever his thing is. And I asked her, well, what would you like to do on a date? And we started talking about it. First of all, she hadn't thought about it. She only had thought about what she didn't want, right? And then as she started thinking about it, and I think strengths are a a great way to know yourself, which you talk about in the book. You have to really know yourself first to know yourself. And then she wasn't asking for what she wanted. She wasn't saying to her husband, here's what I want. And she felt like she she shouldn't ask for what she wants. And this came up yesterday in this women's event that I went to about asking and saying what we want. So you mentioned something in the story you were just saying, Susie, about pausing and responding to James in the way that you want to instead of reacting. What is a good tip for the relationship exactly. around communication? I think one of the most important things is being curious mm. in your relationship and asking questions. How come in the beginning of a relationship, it's so easy? You know, we have marathon phone calls with our partner. 
or in person, all hours of the night, asking about him or her. And then something happens. We get in a serious relationship. Maybe we got married. And we just assume we know each other. I mean, nobody really even totally knows themselves fully, as my philosopher husband would uh, definitely (laughs) argue, right? (laughs) I mean, we're always learning about ourselves, right? I mean, hopefully. I mean, it makes life interesting, you know? Totally. So how can we fully know another person? If we could continue being curious and asking questions throughout um, our uh, lifetime with our partner and really trying to understand the other person's point of view, I think we could definitely um, create a stronger bond by just having that openness. So mm-hmm. I, I would say curiosity is key. And um, asking, if we could ask more questions rather than just um, assuming we know. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to um, ourselves, I think communicating, Karen, as you mentioned, inside and outside of the bedroom, why is it that we think our partner knows what we want? Like relationships take work, the relationship gym, and also the sexuality gym, we like to say. I think you need to ask for what you want, whether it's a date or in the bedroom or what you need, if a help around the house. Our partners aren't mind readers. And I think we often get frustrated because we assume they are and they should know what we want. Um, often we attract someone very different from ourselves, which is great. I know James and I are very different in a lot of ways, and I'm intrigued by that. So why Mm. should I assume that he thinks the same thing? We do things very differently. So I may be thinking he should know what I want. But if we go about chores and even writing a book together very Oh, I can't even imagine. (laughs) Woman, I cannot imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what one of the first things he said to me when we started writing the book? (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm cracking up. He said, so I'm the lead author on this. So I, you know, doing the writing. And he said, right at the outside, outset of our uh, writing, uh, he said, Cece, where's your outline? And I said, outline? And he just kind of looked at me and we realized it was going to be a really tough uh, project because <laughs> we work very differently together. He's like, how have you not written outlines? You've been writing for how long? And I'm like, well, I sort of do, but not in the traditional sense. So again, right. these differences that we're, that we're intrigued by often drive us crazy, uh, you know, in our partners as well. <laughs> right. It's so, this is so interesting. And just knowing the two of you, because you are, you're so zesty, Susie, you have so much like playfulness and not that James doesn't, but you know, I think of you as like a popular writer and I think of James as like academic, you know, like you said, philosopher. And so this is, um, it's so true. And yet the two of you did a beautiful job merging those two things because it is the book has all of the scientific support but it's written in a way that is for everybody and it gets to the everyday person which i really appreciate so i can see both of you in it but it's true that the things that maybe really were so adorable are so intriguing so interesting and so different about the person when we met them become so annoying and you know so frustrating and so what does positive psychology teach us about how to sustain the, the intense feelings from when we first fell in love? Is that possible? So what I'd first like to say is um, those intriguing differences often are seen as annoying uh, deficits. And I think we need to think back to the beginning of the relationship and see our partner through um, a lens of strengths. 
and doesn't mean, you know, they're lacking in something. And we got to remind ourselves about that. This is what attracted me to our partner. That's mm. what's great about him or her. And we should respect and celebrate our unique strengths and differences. Um, and then as far as the question about sustaining, thank you. Um, I think you asked me how to sustain the same level of uh, uh, feelings in the beginning of a relationship. Yep. Um, I, th- I think it's unrealistic to think that you're going to have the exact same heightened emotions that you had in the beginning of a relationship. And if you do, often it could be a sign of what uh, Bob Ellerin's research on obsessive passion. Sure, you want to have those great, um, you know, feelings and you love your partner. However, it evolves. Um, Mm. As the relationship matures, the high level um, of positive emotions, or I should say the high arousal positive emotions, uh, tend to um, moderate into a more sustainable um, level of positive emotion. I think it's unrealistic to think you're going to feel exactly the same way as you did in that falling in love stage. I think what's important is to understand that our feelings evolve and mature, and that's a really good thing. So if you Mm -hmm. look at Barbara Fredrickson's research on positive emotions, um, a relationship tends to follow um, the level of sort of a continuum of positive emotions. So you have the high arousal ones, when you're being attracted, you're interested in your partner, you know, you feel those butterflies in your stomach. And as the relationship matures, you experience um, emotions like gratitude and serenity and, you know, the calming feelings, the, the cuddle um, hormones that you secrete when you're in love and all an inspiration. And if you're just hung up on those instant higher arousal positive emotions, Bob Valerine's research on uh, passion shows, you might be more consumed with, you know, feelings of um, being swept away, and you may be having more of an obsessive passion than a healthier, harmonious passion that's associated with a more sustainable love. Right, right. And you, you actually offer in the book, you offer a passion scale for people to, to take to figure out are you obsessively passionate about your partner or is your passion harmonious? And I think this is so important because Josh and I just reached our seven-year anniversary together and married for four. And they talk about the seven-year itch and I get it. And I'm so totally happy with him. But it was weird. I don't know if it was just psychological, but like my brain started to start to think about or want different things in the bedroom and start like questioning some things. And what I realized at first, I was thinking, he's got to fix this for me, right? Like I need him to know what I want. And then I realized that what was what's really happening is I needed to know what I actually need and want. And I needed to realize that I'm very different today at 43 and a business owner and a professional than I was when we met seven years ago. And so I actually have to do the work and needed to do the work. And I took it on myself to say, what is it that I want? And like, we had this great sex life. But to be honest, when you're trying to conceive as we have, your sex life can become pretty routine because it's kind of all about timing and not very romantic. And so I started to discover that there were things I wanted and needed sexually and started to explore them and then ask for them. And it's made a huge difference in our relationship, right? So 
you might feel like things are getting stale and then you can take it upon yourself to figure out what you need and what you want and start to play, right? I've done episodes here like with Beth Liebling on playing and experimenting and and in the bedroom is one way. And then there are all sorts of different ways to have new and novel, but you have to really take it into your own hands and practice and experiment and then do it. And that's what we've done. And it's it's been amazing. I mean, I discovered things like I like some I like to be slapped sometimes on the behind. And I like, you know, to have some handcuffs every once in a while. And so just exploring those things. I like wearing leather outfits. So exploring those things. I like doing I like doing lap dances. And I like it when he does a lap dance for me. So this is just an example in the bedroom, but if you're feeling like some of that passion has shifted, you can take it into your own hands and you can figure out what it is that you want, and then introduce it and take charge of it. And that's the key. And with the seven-year itch, I started to notice, like, "Eh, I want some different things in the bedroom, and "Eh, look at that cute person over there, that cute person. And, And I had to really pause. And when some of the questions came up in my mind about the swept away and the passionate relationships of the past, right? There's that passionate love and the companionate love, the more intimate love. And what I realize is that those passionate relationships, they were amazing. And when Josh and I first met and how hot it was, it was amazing. And there's something so much more beautiful and deep and in having my my best friend. And so, you know, the question is, well, c- can it be both, Right. Our bodies are actually designed, you know, right, Susie? Our bodies are designed for that intensity to first couple up because your body wants you to mate and procreate, right? That's like, that's biological. And then once once you've been with someone for a while, your body is actually designed to have a more companionate kind of relationship so that you're taking care of family and you're nurturing and you're there for each other when there is illness. And so our bodies are designed to do this. However, our brains love that novelty and newness, not just the bedroom, everywhere. And so what we actually need to do is to is to allow and appreciate and savor the deliciousness of the companionate, intimate, best friendship that you have with a partner and be sure that you're doing the new and the novel. Be sure that you're introducing and keeping it spicy and keeping it fun. Definitely. I mean, the research shows that those feelings swept away kind of emotions. I can't live without you obsessive. Um, it might be all fire, but it doesn't last long. Like a raging mm. fire it goes up in smoke if it can't be sustained. Right. And such a good metaphor too. Such a good metaphor. So in addition, you also talk about, um, you mentioned gratitude and I love that you have a whole chapter dedicated to savoring. Savoring is the practice of not only feeling grateful, but elongating that feeling of gratitude. And my parents, I mentioned their relationship and their marriage and something I've really been tuned into since studying positive psychology and teaching it and getting remarried myself is what makes their relationship work. And I noticed that my parents spend a lot of time reminiscing about the good. And it could be just reminiscing about how wonderful and delicious dinner was last night. But they're constantly talking and savoring either what is happening in that moment, how beautiful it is outside, or looking at that tree, whatever it is, 
or they're savoring something from the past or savoring from something for the future. And so I loved seeing this chapter in the book. And I, I'm wondering if you can tell us, Susie, a little bit more about savoring and how can that help the women out there listening to this? Um, I think that's great, first of all, about your parents. And um, it shows that uh, different people savor in you know, different uh, time perspectives. Some people mm. are more in the moment, some more savor the past, and some are more anticipators. Um, it's great, however you savor. If you can uh, do uh, all three types of savoring, the research shows a more balanced type of savoring is the healthiest. Most of us fall into one area. I think the important point to note is that as long as you're you know, doing your best to try to savor and savoring who you're with. So if you're with your partner and you're reminiscing about an old flame or <laughs> anticipating really a better life with someone else, that's not good. Um, but the research shows that the couples who savor moment by moment rather than waiting for the momentous, you know, being whisked away to Paris, like, you know, they are in the movies every other weekend. Um, those who savor the moments are much happier. And I mean, you can understand this, Karen, because life is made up of moments, right? So yes. we live in the moments. So if we're stopping to acknowledging, it's really the small things. Um, you know, James makes me a cup of coffee every morning when he's home. And I really look forward to that. And I really appreciate that. Him doing that every day is more powerful because I'm not a morning person. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> and he knows that than, you know, just a big gift at this certain time of year because it's expected. Um, so savoring and acknowledging one another. Sadly, um, a lot of the couples we spoke to and um, some anecdotes we talked about in the book um, of couples who didn't stay together. It wasn't always um, the big things. Most of the time it was because one partner did not feel acknowledged, appreciated, or cared for. Um, the research around this is called effective affirmation. One woman uh, we speak about, um, she tells her story where her partner was shocked when she left the relationship after more than 20 years because there was no big fights, no affairs. But she said it was a slow boil over the years. Um, it was more what he didn't do than what he did. Um, she didn't feel that um, they took moments together um, just to save her and that her bids for attention, that's Godman's research, whenever she would try to approach him for a hug or a sort of, a burn, um, he would you know, just sort of ignore her. So the research shows those people who do take the time on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be a couple hours a day, but just a few moments to point out what they love about their partner or mm. what they're grateful for, um, have um, much healthier and more um, satisfying relationships than those who don't take the time on a daily basis. You know, with savoring the daily, I love that James makes you coffee every day. My favorite things, and one of the things that Josh and I realized early in our marriage, since we both had been married before, we really went into this marriage trying to plan the marriage instead of trying to plan the wedding. And we really thought about what we wanted our relationship to be. And we actually worked with a counselor who helped us create a vision for our marriage and what was important to each of us. And then we came together and looked at each other's lists and what's important to you and what's important to me and coming up with a shared vision. 
And that can be a, a vision to go back to and say, how are we doing against that? Is it still valid? Do we want to change it? And then we learned through this counselor this value of appreciation and to appreciate every little thing. So in my household, Josh does most of the laundry. And he shared with me that I wasn't appreciating it. I was kind of just taking it for granted. And I really had to step back. And I was like, oh, well, of course you do. That's your job. And I've got my job. And then I had to take a step back and like really look at all of those little things that he does and have become someone who loves to gush over him. I love telling him how much I appreciate him doing the laundry, how much I appreciate him taking care of our business, how much I appreciate how much he loves our dog. And I've actually found that it's so fulfilling and fun for me to love up on him. So we're coming up on our time. And, you know, I just want to hone in on something that I think I think about a lot and maybe others do as well, which is, do you believe in soulmates? Like, is that a thing? Is there such a thing as a perfect relationship or soulmates? I mean, we think if by soulmates, you mean a deep connection you feel with someone, you know, that's great. And we believe in that. But if the popular or common, you know, conception of soulmates that you hear in the media um, can actually be detrimental to relationships. Hmm. And we think for a couple reasons, because this sense of fate, you know, my perfect prince or princess charming is going to come along on horseback. It can lead to inaction. You're just sitting around, Karen. You know, you were just waiting for Joshua to sweep you off your feet, doing nothing, not working on yourself or any self-improvement. And that can lead to a sense of dependence also when your partner does appear that you're just relying on him and her mm. uh, for your happiness. And finally, it's going to be very difficult to sustain. I mean, it's a lot of pressure for your partner. And so for those reasons, we think um, the notion of a soulmate as popularly portrayed in pop culture isn't necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And it, it was a big shift for me from my first marriage to my second. The first marriage, I was so caught up in some of this, these things we've been talking about, the it has to be swept off and it, you know, and it's gotta be that intense as opposed to, and soulmates, as opposed to recognizing when I met Josh, how freaking lucky I would be to be with him every day because he's so solid and because we have that connection, but I was no longer under some sort of like fake illusion that it, you know, that it can only be one person and that kind of a thing. Cause I think it is unhealthy. So I want to kind of hone this in on a couple of, there's so much in here and anyone out there, if you are in relationship, if you're just starting off, or if you are in a relationship, you've been in it for a while and you want to learn like, okay, we have lost our spark or we are no longer happy. I'm no longer happy. Read this book because there is so much in there about how you can spark it again, how you can bring these tools and make it so simple. So if there's one piece of advice, we've given a lot here, but if there's one piece of advice, Susie, that you would want to leave listeners with, what is that? I think instead of the notion of the soulmates, the you completely, as you mentioned in the beginning, we talked about Jerry and Maguire, focus on uh, you compliment me. We like mm. to talk about the scene in As Good As It Gets, when Jack Nicholson's character says uh, to Carol, played by Helen Hunt, you make me want to be a better man. And we think that that notion of uh, seeing the good in the other, like the character did, 
um, and supporting that person's desire to grow and becoming inspired uh, to become better yourself is a much healthier way to look at relationships. Mm -hmm. um, we call that Aristotelian love in our book. So what is it about your partner? What is his or her strengths? And how can you complement one another to become better individuals and better together as a team? Mm, that is beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right. How, how can you each help each other be a better person? And it feels so good when someone does challenge us and uplift us to be our best self. That's the, it's like deep fulfillment. That's deep nourishment. That is the deepest form of love. That's just so beautiful. Thank you, Susie. Thank so, you, Karen. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I like to do with all of my guests on the Purpose Girl podcast is something that I call a purpose power-up play round. And it's just a couple of quick questions, whatever comes to your mind as an expert. <laughs> um, we're going to just dive into a little bit of, of you personally. Okay. So Susie, number one, other than your book, which is so amazing, and we will give everybody the show, in the show notes how to get it, what is a great book that you think everybody should read? Oh my goodness, there's so many. The Nick and McKeon Ethics, I would say, uh, <laughs> that really inspired um, our book mm. um, on Aristotle's um, three things that most people um, love and are attracted to. And that's what inspired us um, to write this book in part. Wow. Wow. It's so great. We didn't get into those three things, but I know when they went to the talk in Toronto, you were talking about that what Aristotle said was that people need three things um, for a relationship to be useful, pleasurable, and good. Did I get that right? Yes. So yes, Aristotle said humans tend to love three things, the useful, the pleasurable, and the good. And then he said there's three levels of friendship that correspond to these. So a friendship of utility Maybe two uh, people in their 30s or 40s invest together in the business to make money. Um, maybe a friendship of pleasure. Think about your college buds. Maybe uh, you go out for a night on the town to have fun. And he says, well, there's nothing um, wrong with those um, friendships of utility or pleasure. The highest level of friendship is a friendship based on virtue. And that's when two people come together because they see the goodness, the good character in one another. He says friendships of um, virtue are the most sustainable because friendships based on usefulness and those based on pleasure only tend to last usually when one partner or both is getting something out of it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a friendship based on utility, if the business falls apart, um, you're probably not really in touch with that person anymore. If you have a friend where it's no longer fun to go out with him or her and the friendship was based on time together. He says a friendship based on virtue, um, unless one's uh, character tends to go awry, which doesn't tend to happen, um, character tends to be pretty reliable. Those friendships are the most sustainable. So I had said to James on our honeymoon, why did Aristotle have to limit this to friendships? What if we applied that to our marriage? And mm. instead of just being lovers, we became Aristotelian lovers where we saw the goodness and we practiced seeing the goodness, especially during the tough times, right? And we help each other grow that goodness and we become stronger individuals and stronger together as a couple and as a team. And he said, I love that idea. And then we you know, wrote the book with 
the Aristotelian framework as the backdrop using positive psychology on how to work on achieving that. You know, something I so appreciate about Josh is how he makes me want to be a better person. Before being with him, my best friend had asked me, like I was doing the internet dating thing, and she said to me, would you rather have someone who was just a yes man or would you rather have someone who was challenging you? And I said, oh my God, I'd rather have a yes man. And she said, you would not. And I said, yes, I would. And that's because my first husband was a lawyer and he would challenge, it felt like everything. And I just wanted someone who would yes me. And when I met Josh, I made that pretty clear. And so he spent the beginning of our relationship yesing. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's kind of like, that's kind of boring. And, you know, I'm not really growing. And so I had to really reframe it with him that I want him to challenge me. And and now that's what he does. And I love when he helps me see that I'm not standing in my power. And he helps me see when I am staying in the negative and can choose to shift to the positive. He helps me see when I'm showing up and being angry or being resentful or being bitter about things that I don't need to. I love when he shows up and he reminds me, you've got to go for your dreams. You've got to stand in your bigness. And so this thing about an Aristotelian friend makes a ton of sense. And the beauty of it is when you can put all these pieces together and you can have that best friendship and you can have that sexy lovership and you can have open connectedness. And then to do, as you said, Susie, do the work or do the habit building, the relationship gym to keep it going. That's where the sweet spot is for all of us. Well, as I said, I knew when I was a student and I saw the two of you early in your marriage, I knew that you were a role model for relationships. I just could see it in the way that the two of you connected and communicated. And now we all see it in you. And we're so blessed that the two of you are taking this out now. I know you've been on Larry King and I know you're, you know, you've been doing book tours and that you have the book. So everybody, so where can people find the book and uh, find more about the workshops you guys are doing? Tell us. Thanks, Karen. Sure. Um, if they go to our website, which is buildhappytogether.com. Don't forget the build because love is an action verb. Um, they can buy the book there. They can buy it on Amazon at bookstores nationwide. Uh, they're available. And we're also coming out with a Spanish version that's coming out this fall. This is the first time I've publicly announced that. So oh, my gosh. Congratulations. That's huge. Beautiful, beautiful. That's so great. So, if you're so get the book at buildhappytogether.com. Susie and James also have a Happy Together Facebook page, which we will put into the show notes so that you can get even more insights for them. And you're going to want to stay tuned to what they're doing because they occasionally will do talks and workshops, and they're incredibly kind, generous, loving, warm humans and obviously have so much to teach us all about how to have a happy, healthy relationship. So Susie, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Please give my love to your whole family. And for all of you listening, if you like this episode, and we hope that you did, please, please, please give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you think. Most importantly, though, As I always say, share this with your friends, listen to the tools and start bringing them into your own marriage, bring them into your best friendships, bring them into relationship, share this with friends of yours who you know are having challenge in their relationship. The way that we are going to change this world one woman at a time is by sharing the tools with each other, connecting with each other and uplifting each other to be our best, best 
best selves. So to join the community, go on Facebook. You can join the Purpose Girls uh, Facebook group totally free. Of course, you can find me on Instagram at Karen Rockind and on Facebook at Coach Karen Rockind. And you can get your free Living on Purpose guide at PurposeGirl.com. So it's been so much fun having Susie here. Love you, woman. And all of you, thank you for listening. May you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now.